The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. When you're in hell, if you stop, then you're really going to be stuck. So when you're going through hell, keep walking. And that's what I'm doing. That is a quote from a mother of an American-Israeli young man who died, or he hasn't died, but was taken hostage. Let me read the very quote that she said when interviewed. She said, when you're in hell, if you stop, then you're really stuck. So when you're going through hell, keep walking. And that's what I'm doing. Again, so says the mother of Hirsch Goldstein, Poland. He was or is a 23-year-old American Israeli who was kidnapped by Hamas while attending a music festival. This music festival was held in the, in the desert, the uh, southern desert of, of Israel on October 7th. The attack started when Hamas Terrorists descended from the sky using powered parachutes when it was all over. More than 260 attendees to this festival were massacred by Hamas terrorists. First, Goldstein, Poland, and others escaped the initial attack by going into a bomb shelter. And as they, there was about 23, 25 of them went into this bomb shelter, the Hamas terrorists followed them to the, and they stayed at the door, they opened the door of the bomb shelter and started throwing in hand grenades, one after another after another hand grenades. Hurst and another man diligently picked up those hand grenades and threw it back at the terrorist, one after the other, as quick as they could. Unfortunately, one of the grenades ended up blowing off Hurst's arm from the elbow down. Hurst and anyone else who, was, who remained alive and was able to walk, was taken hostage by the terrorists, and they were taken back to Gaza. Now, as of this moment, the status of this young man and the other people taken hostage from this festival is unknown. This is yet another story, another of the hundreds of stories that can be told about this recent terrorist attack.
But what is Hamas? And what is Gaza, Gaza in relationship to the nation of Israel? Well, Hamas is a political terrorist organization whose sole purpose is the destruction of the nation of Israel and all the Jewish people. Gaza is not a part of Israel. It is a separate territory on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. The Gaza Strip is a narrow piece of land that is bordered by Israel on the eastern coast, I'm sorry, by Israel on the east and Egypt on the south. The Gaza Strip is about 20, 25 miles long and seven miles wide. It is predominantly populated with Palestinians. Palestinians. Unfortunately, it is governed by this political militant group called Hamas. Please understand that they are a minority, that the majority of the Palestinians in Gaza are peaceful people. As we mentioned last week, there are many Christian Palestinians in Gaza and many more Christian Palestinians in the region. In Palestine, which is a territory, But Hamas, this political terrorist organization, rules the political agenda of Gaza. And anyone who disagrees with them meets an ill fate. Needless to say, that the Jewish population in Gaza is non-existent, is non-existent. The, the, the nation of Israel, in order to protect itself from Hamas, these Hamas terrorists, ha has tried to secure the border, its border against Gaza. And they've used concrete and barbed wire and, 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 and a military presence along the border. Peace in this area of the world has not been uh, one of building relationships, but rather of military might. How can there be peace in an area where war has existed for so long? In a very real sense, Christians find themselves we find ourselves as Christians living in a world of con continual conflict with society. We are surrounded by a world who's at war with God. Hence, they're at war with us. We live in a world that condemns our way of living and our view of life. So then, where and how are we to live out the gospel? 
Where and how are we to live out the gospel? Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, now, Manny, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, I'm living this quiet life, staying to myself, minding my own business, just trying to survive my Christian life. Well, see, as kingdom people, one of the things that you need to understand is that you are in exile in this fallen world. You are in exile as we are awaiting the return of Christ, who will take us out of exile in this broken world into the heavenly promised land. But here's the, the message of the passage. Here's the message of the passage we were just read. The Lord God Almighty knows where we're at. God has placed us, his people, where he wants us to live out the gospel. We're not to go out in some uh, monastery like a monk and live out our lives by ourselves. God has placed us in this world. That's where he has us, where he has you, in the city of man, as we spoke about a couple of Sundays ago. Our passage this, this evening makes it abundantly clear that kingdom living for a Christian means to embody and exclaim the gospel of Christ while engaging the cities wherever we may live with the eternal message of hope. And that's the message of Christ. Critical issue of our passage is that we must live out the gospel of Christ in the city where God has us, in our society where God has us, in a country where God has us. That is how we are to live out our lives. See, that is not what was going on, and that's not what's going on in Gaza because of, of such violence. The passage that was read to us, that was written to Israel, the, the nation, Judah, God's people. Who were taken into exile into Babylon. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. But that is the conquering country. A conquering country came and took them hostage into their country, a thousand plus miles away. And God knew all about it. God sent them there. How do we? Do this? How do we embody the gospel? How do we proclaim the gospel? How do we engage the city, the society that you're in with the gospel? How do we do that? Well, we begin with the first part. We begin with the embodiment, the, uh, that we, the, the, the message that we must embody the gospel. To embody the gospel does not mean that we're going to live a perfect life. Indeed, we cannot. We cannot. Some of us are testimonies to that. We cannot live this perfect life. In fact, we live a life of repentance and faith. 
and trust in this thing called sanctification, being made holy. However, we certainly must try to live our life Christ-like, live our life in a Christ-like manner, reflecting Christ. To embody the gospel is our identity. That is our identity. That is who we are. And regardless of what we may encounter in our lives, the bad and the worst and the good, our identity as a Christian cannot change. What you may have uh, come across in your life, what you may be going through right now, cannot change your identity. You are a Christian. You are the embodiment of Christ in a broken body, a broken soul, broken spirit, and a broken world. Verse 6, God commands his people. He commands his people who he, has set, he himself has set into exile. He commands them to build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat of the produce. What does that mean to them? It means the same thing to them as it means to us. We're in this for the long haul. We're in this for the long stretch. See, there were many of the people back then that thought it was a temporary time, that they were only going to be there for a short period of time. And so they were told by their prophets, the false prophets. And God sends his prophet, Jeremiah, to correct all that. And they hated that message. And they hated him for bringing it. God is telling them that we're not short timers on earth. You're being used by God. See, that's something to think about. Okay, if you're living your life Christ-like, if you're the embodiment of, of the gospel of Christ, and, and you're reflecting it to the people that you live with, to the, to the city, and we'll talk more about how, the, how we do that, but you're reflecting it to the city. You're serving your God. You're serving the Lord. He, you are doing something for the Almighty. But what if you say, ah, I'm not doing anything. I'm just tired. I'm not doing nothing else. Well, you're done with your job. You're done with the command that God has given you. So what happens? There he called you home. That is what we're called to do. God has, God, God has put us where you're at, where you live, with the circle of influence that you're surrounded by to be the embodiment of Christ, to be the embodiment of the gospel. We are kingdom people living where God has placed us. And although we're living in the world that's fallen, we know that we're no longer of this world. Therefore, our identity as a Christian cannot change, cannot change. So our embodiment of the gospel as a Christian involves living out the teachings and the values of Christianity, the Christian faith. In our everyday lives, in our everyday lives, not just Sunday. Think about uh, living out your Christian life just on Sundays. And then we meet at 5 o'clock. Oh, man, we got to go through the whole day. 
so many things could happen to us the whole day. We may get distracted and decide we may not want to come to worship. I'll catch you next Sunday, Pastor Manny. To live out the teachings and the value of the Christian faith involves love and compassion. It involves forgiveness. It involves humility. It involves advocating for social justice and fairness. Oh, believe that or not, believe it or not, you're to be an advocate for social justice and fairness in your community. It involves generosity. It involves integrity. It involves prayer and spiritual discipline. Or don't we need that? My friends, if living the life as the embodiment of the gospel and the embodiment of, of being Christ-like, you need, we need prayer. Prayer and spiritual discipline. Being in the Word, attending worship, being a part of a Bible study, and much more. It involves hospitality. Ah, oh, having a Bible study in your house. Wait a minute. There are some, you know, there are some shady people down the road. Our neighbors. I don't know about those guys. Ah, you think we I wonder if God knows about that. Just trying to stay safe. I don't want anybody in my house. Huh. I thought it was the Lord's house. Hmm. It involves joy. Joy in your life. Knowing that this part is just a small part of eternity that awaits. It involves service. Serving God. Serving God in so many capacities. Serving God in your church. Remember that the embodiment of the gospel is an ongoing process that involves us growing, learning, and reflecting Christ. So that brings us to our next point, the, uh, the embodiment of the gospel involves evangelism. Evangelism. We are to proclaim the gospel. We are to proclaim the gospel. And all that begins with something we were talking about just a few minutes ago. It all begins with what? Prayer. Prayer. To evangelize, to share Jesus with others begins, continues, and ends, and begins, continues, and ends with prayer. Prayer. We are told in our passage that we are called to pray for our city. There's some, you know, there's some weird people in our city that, that have all these weird ideas. And guys, some of it goes against the gospel. There's some perverted stuff that this city advocates. That was going on in Babylon. And God is saying, you pray for the city. You pray for the city. We pray for the city. And how do we pray for the city? The gospel. We use scripture. We, we use the, the gospel of Christ in our prayer for the city. We pray for people we know in the city who are heading up the city, our mayor, for his salvation or her salvation. We pray for the city. We ex exclaiming the gospel message involves 
bodily to it involves us to be boldly and passionately proclaiming the the core tenets of the Christian faith. So when you're praying for others, when you're praying for the city, you're praying through the gospel for the city. See, you're maintaining your identity. You're not losing your identity in the city. The city's not coming, changing you. You're going to change the city. You're impacting the city. We're impacting the city. When we center uh, on praying for the city, we pray the gospel, the Christian faith, which centers on salvation that comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. And there are many, many other religions in this city, and we pray for them. We pray for them. We pray that their salvation, for their salvation, which we know comes only through Christ. So that means we have to pray that they'll come to Christ. Huh. Hey, I don't want you to pray that I'll come to Christ. I have my own religion here. I worship myself, or I worship so-and-so, or I worship whatever. God, if you hear that, please just say, okay, okay. And then go pray for them. They're lost. You were lost. We were lost. I was lost. He rejected Christ, ran from him. Thank God somebody was praying for me. Pray for your city. Which, and that's where it all starts when we pray for the welfare of the city. It says pray for the welfare of the city. A better word for, than welfare could be shalom. Shalom. Uh, you can read uh, verse 7 like this. Seek the shalom of the city where I, God, have sent you in exile and pray to the Lord on, on its behalf for in its Shalom, you, plural and personal, plural and personal, you will find your shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word that holds a rich and a multifaceted meaning. Now, it, most of the time you're going to get it interpreted as peace. Pray for the peace of the city. Uh, here we got it. Pray for the welfare of the city. See, it's multifaceted definition. Its significance goes beyond the absence of conflict. It goes beyond the absence of prayer. So you're praying for the, for the city. You're praying for Israel, or you're praying for Gaza. It goes beyond peace. You're praying for the shalom of the city, which goes beyond conflict. You're praying for their salvation. You're praying for them to come to Christ. What would they do if everyone came to Christ? How would that end the war? Is it possible? Is it possible? Well, we're not asked to answer that question. We're just told to pray. Shalom encompasses a sense of completeness, wholeness, well-being and harmony, both on the uh, on an individual and, and, and a, a communal level, praying for the shalom of God's Gaza or the shalom of the Israeli God or the Israeli Hamas war conflict. 
But let us not overlook that God is telling us that for in the shalom of the city, we, you, I will find our shalom. We'll find our shalom. That is a God promise. That's something I want. That's something you want. That's something we want. Not just here in San Antonio, but throughout the world, especially where the war is going on in Israel. In, 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 in understanding this and in, in God telling his people back then to pray for the shalom of, uh, of the Babylonians, Back in, 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 uh, in, our, in our passage, back in 539 B.C., this is after they were taken uh, into exile, to Babylon, the Babylonian exile, the king, a Persian king named Cyprus, Cyrus, Cyrus, um, overthrew the Babylonians. And at that time, he allowed the Jews to return to their home, homeland. He allowed them to go home. Here's what's interesting. An overwhelming majority of the Jewish people stayed where they were at. Only a minority, a small remnant, actually returned back to Jerusalem. Most of them stayed there. They had established shalom in Babylon. They prospered in Babylon. So they remained there and did not return. In fact, while they were there in Babylon, the time they spent in Babylon, they picked up some of the Babylonian culture, some bad and some good. They stayed long enough to pick up a language, another language. They learned another language, Aramaic. They learned the Aramaic language. Guess who spoke Aramaic? Jesus spoke Aramaic. It's a form of Hebrew, an Arab-type language. But they spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. Some eventually just spoke Aramaic. We must never, never think that God doesn't have a plan God has a plan for him, for us, for us, for you, for us, for his people. He has a plan. We are to engage the city with the gospel message. This is done by first coming to grips with the idea of where you're at and that God has a plan for you, that that's part of God's plan. See, that, that did not take a little something like that. God has, I'm in a terrible place. I mean, I, I really kind of don't really like where I'm at. I'm trying to dig my way out of here. So you think, and you start thinking, well, God has put me here. So how can I better things for myself is to do the things God has asked you to do. The shalom of your situation will better your situation, will change everything. That's how we engage the city. That's how you engage the society that you're surrounded with by God has sent us 
He has placed us where he wants us to live. So again, we must engage the city with the gospel message. And that involves, this is a holistic approach that addresses the diverse needs of the community that we're in, that we live in, the city that we live in. We as Christians can actively participate in this missional journey that God has us on to engage the city by building relationships in the city, by participating in community service to help others in the city, God stuff. We can be culturally relevant in our society. See, so many Christians have backed out of even running for political office or doing something that, that makes you stand out in the community because they're afraid that, that people are going to question their faith in Christ. So what? D run for office. Run, do whatever you need to do, but you cannot lose your identity. Be who you are in the community. What has happened is Christians have run from these positions, from these political offices, and who has taken over? Not Christians. See, that's how we impact the city. We partner with local organizations to help others. And then we commit to personal and corporate evangelism with our churches. Everyone. Every one of us can share Jesus with others. Every one of us, we're too ready to make an excuse as to why we can't share Jesus with others. And I got to tell you a story. This is a story about a young man who lived like in an impoverished neighborhood. The barrio. He lived in the barrio de los Mexicanos. How's that? He lived in the barrio. And this young man, he, he, you know, he, he always seemed very well kept. He was well-spoken, very polite, and, and very well-behaved. But he was living in the barrio. And, through, and although he was obviously a little different than the other guys, the other young boys in that neighborhood, he would hang out with them. They were his friends. He had fun with them. He enjoyed doing stuff with them in the hood. And one day... This young man was walking home with his friends, so-called friends. And for some unknown reason, they turned on him. They started making fun of him. They pushed him down. They took away his backpack. They took away all the stuff in him. They started kicking him and making, him, making fun of him, making fun of him, yelling and screaming, laughing at him, screaming and yelling. You know what that young boy did? He, he did not understand what was going on. He had no idea this was going to happen to him. He had no idea what was why this was taking place. And, and you know what he did? As they were pulling off his backpack and taking all his possessions out of it, throwing everything in, were grabbing what they wanted, this little boy started crying out, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Hey, I'm a Christian. This is not supposed to happen to me. I'm a Christian. You're not supposed to do that to me. I'm a Christian. And you know what the kids were doing when he was saying all that? They were laughing at him. Just laughing. Idiot. They're just laughing at him. 
as he's cried out, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. That little boy is the embodiment of the gospel. That little boy changed the lives of many other people. Not on that day, but years later, one of those boys who was beating up on him, taking his stuff, laughing at him when he was crying out, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. One of those boys said, came around years later and said, I want what he has. And it wasn't material stuff. He wanted whatever was driving him to say that. He wanted Jesus because of that event. Ah, talking about you can't evangelize. That's how you evangelize with your life. You are the embodiment of Christ in a broken body, a broken soul, and a broken. Yeah, we all know we're all broken. We're all broken. But we are called to reflect Christ. Don't think that you cannot share Jesus with anyone else. So as we look at this passage, you need to hear. Well, you need to hear that in all your struggles, in all your heart heartaches, in all your hardships, in all your difficulties, you need to hear what verse 11 says. God says that I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, your shalom, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope, a future hope. The Messiah is coming. The Lord is speaking to his people. His people, when he says you, he's talking plural. He's talking to you all, his church, his people. How he has a plan for us. A plan that'll bring you shalom. It'll bring everyone who's around you shalom. When he blesses you, a plan to bless you. You don't know what's going to happen for the re in the rest of the today or tomorrow. You may be at a football game or a baseball game or a soccer game. How's that? And all of a sudden, people are going to be parachuting out of the sky, trying to take your life. You don't know. But see, here's a question. Are you ready for that to happen? Are you living your life in shalom? Are you living your life? For the glory of God, the greater glory of God. That's a, there's a, a, a Latin phrase, uh, ad, ad majorum de glorium, for the greater glory of God. That is how we encompass him, uh, the, or the, that is how we are the embodiment of Christ, Jesus, the gospel. Because we live our life that is pleasing to God for the greater glory of God. Let us pray together. Gracious Father, we do thank you for your love. and thank you. You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at stephenschapel.org.
or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.